Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Here we go. It is episode 50 of Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. And to celebrate, we've got an interview I can't wait for with Steelers legendary cornerback, two-time Super Bowl champ, Ike Taylor, joining the show to celebrate our 50th episode. Look, I know that this episode has dropped later in the week than most. Obviously, you know, it's out and available Thursday morning. Usually I've got an episode for you either Monday or Tuesday morning. Did we really need a recap of that quote-unquote super wildcard weekend? I mean, that was, plain and simple, one of the most disappointing weekends of playoff football I have ever seen. Now, far from disappointing in terms of profitability, I mean, uh, Sunday specifically just raked it in. I mean, do we have to go over it? Mike Evans, prop, uh, Rob Gronkowski, touchdown prop, both of those hit. I just... I figured play them both because you're bound to hit at least one of them. And, you know, with plus odds, at least you make a profit. Both end up hitting the 49ers. I hit them from three different angles. Hit them plus the three and a half. Hit them money line. Hit them alt spread minus two and a half at nearly plus 200 odds. And then the night game, Kansas City, which I didn't play straight, would have hit minus 12 and a half. Instead, I teased the Chiefs to minus six and a half with the Bucks and the Niners. Three-team teaser plus 160. Rake it in. How you doing? I mean, what a Sunday, betting-wise. But outside of that, we had one really close game. And I say really close because the Bengals-Raiders game was really not that close for most of the game. Yes, did the Raiders, you know, make it tight at the end? Did they have a chance to tie it with about two minutes to go? They did. That's all true. But Cincinnati went up early and stayed up and really never relinquished what I deem to be control of that game. San Fran and Dallas was by far the best game of the weekend, but it was really the only game worth writing home about. I mean, the Chiefs blew out the Steelers after looking clueless in the first quarter. They came back and just wrecked Pittsburgh's hopes, fell behind 7-0, You've got the Rams Monday night from start to finish. You know, I was all, all geared up, all ready to do an episode Monday night for you. Tuesday morning, hoping for a great game. Maybe Kyler Murray pulls it out on the road. That game was an absolute disaster. I would say, I mean, right up there with with Buffalo, New England as the worst game of wildcard weekend. Love the outcome in Buffalo, though. Did my under hit? No. My Bills minus four hit, though, so essentially breaking even in that respect, but just the outcome of the game. I mean, Buffalo, mount up. What a game. You know, New England fans are going in there cocky, saying, hey, the last time we had crappy weather, you know, we didn't even have to throw the ball, and we beat you guys. Our defense is going to (laughs) do... What defense? That's that's my question looking at that game. Where was the Bill Belichickian defense? I mean, nowhere to be found. They found themselves down 33-3, ultimately losing 47-17. And I've got news for you, folks. The game wasn't that close. It wasn't as close as a 30-point final score, 30-point differential would indicate. The Bills dominated them. And then the one game I haven't mentioned, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, I said it when that line came out at minus 8.5, and, and it fluctuated all the way from minus seven to minus nine, closed at minus seven. I said, look, anything shy of double digits, I'm taking Tampa Bay in this one. Took them straight, teased them, and by the time I played the teaser, they were minus seven, so teased them in essentially what was a pick em with Kansas City and San Fran, and at the end of the day, that is your super wild card weekend. The games weren't super. The money in my bank account right now is pretty super. We don't need to recap those games, right? Outside of San Fran Dallas, like I said a couple minutes ago, there's not much to recap. You've got the incredible, crazy ending, Dak taking off, trying to give Dallas a 25-yard, 30-yard play to end the game, hands the ball to his center instead of the referee, and look, were the officials bad? I mean, they weren't great. Certainly wasn't the worst officiating we saw all weekend. I mean, Cincinnati and Vegas, the, the first game right off the bat, horrendous officiating, Uh, It was pretty consistent that the officials were pretty bad all weekend. Tampa, Philly, close second for bad officials. But that ending to Dallas-San Francisco, 
That is not on anyone except for Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, and Dak Prescott. Those are the three people at fault. The officials had nothing to do with that. You know, Dak can say, oh, the official bumped into me. You handed the ball to your center. You are an NFL quarterback, Dak Prescott. You know the rules. The ball cannot be snapped until the official sets it. So I don't know exactly what you're complaining about. And look, what Dak said post-game when he found out that the fans were not throwing garbage at the players that it was intended for the officials, and he kind of said, oh, well, in that case, it's well-deserved. Wrong thing to say. Terrible thing to say. I don't think that really speaks to Dak's character. Let, let's, let's not take this and blow it up out of proportion. Dak Prescott is a really good guy. One of the best guys you'll meet in the NFL. So I don't want to watch his character get crushed because he made a really dumb comment in a post-game press conference. Look, the fans, first and foremost, are idiots. And, you know, Prescott was defending his teammates, and we go out there every day and put it on the line. And that's true. And just like you have bad games, sometimes the refs had a bad game, and the the Fairweather fans down in Dallas should not have been throwing their uh, medium Pepsi cups. That's a jab at my Giants right there. On the field, regardless, right? Whether it was at the Cowboys, the Niners, the refs, doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, the only people you can blame for that loss, already mentioned them, Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy, and Dak Prescott. Look, I mean, Dallas did a slew of things wrong in this game, right? They didn't run the ball enough. Tony Pollard was only featured in one drive. And what happened in that drive where Pollard was featured? Oh, wait, don't tell me. The Cowboys scored a touchdown. Uh, I mean, the rest of the game was just poorly managed by Dallas in in every area on offense. C.D. Lamb didn't get enough targets. Zeke didn't get enough carries. There wasn't enough play action. I mean, they tried to get too cute, in in my opinion. They had some, you know, some trick plays and some laterals, and one worked and one didn't. You've got so much talent if you're the Dallas Cowboys, right? You've got Dak Prescott, who I believe is a top 12 quarterback in the National Football League. You've got Ezekiel Elliott, who when he's healthy is certainly a top 10 running back. And then you've got a slew of options at the receiver and tight end position. You know, Dalton Schultz, really underrated. The guy's a stud. He's got great hands. C.D. Lamb has blazing speed. You know, I mean, the Cowboys, Amari Cooper, of course, is Amari Cooper. The Cowboys have weapons. One of the best offensive lines consistently in football. Now, look, are they as good as the offensive line in maybe 2016 when they were 13-3 and and won the NFC East? No, they're not as good as that unit, but it's pretty comparable. They're one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League. There's no excuse. For them to go out there and get bullied by a four-man San Francisco rush play after play. The Niners were not blitzing, in in my opinion, not blitzing enough. And they still bullied Dallas in the trenches. I mean, Dallas, by the way, both sides of the ball. Because Dallas's defensive front, really nothing to write home about. They just, as an organization, you know, and it starts with Jerry. And it obviously goes down to McCarthy and eventually to the players. Dallas just can't get on the right track. And I'm not complaining about it. You know, no one hates the Dallas Cowboys more than me right? I've got to make that tough decision as a Giants fan. Like, shoot, who do I like more, the Eagles or the Cowboys? And for me, it's not that close. I would rather see the Eagles have success than the Cowboys any day of the week. But a lot of this has to do with with Jerry up top. And you know, he was the one who quickly proclaimed it earlier in the year. This season is Super Bowl or bust. Well, Jerry, there's your bust. You now fall to four and 11 in your last 15 playoff games since winning Super Bowl 30. That is a bust. 4-11 and in their last 15 playoff games. Not even making it out of wildcard weekend. By the way, I said this last week, wildcard weekend's all about the underdogs, right? Last year, underdogs 4-2 and against the spread. Last year, road teams 4-2 and against the spread. This year, all about the favorites. Dallas was the only favorite who didn't move on. You've got the Bengals. Favorite, they win, they cover. You've got The Bills, favorite, win, cover. Tampa Bay, same drill. Chiefs, you're getting where I'm going here. Rams, home favorites. Every team this year, last year we actually had two road favorites, the Bucks at Washington and the Ravens at Tennessee. This year, all six home teams were favorites and they went five and one straight up and against the spread. Absolutely wild. Wild card weekend going back to when it was, you know, four games and not six. The norm was that anywhere from two to three dogs would cover you know in a good year for favorites they'd be two and two against the spread in a normal year dogs would go three and one this year was the exact opposite so that makes you wonder looking ahead to divisional weekend 
what's going to happen. The trend has been wildcard weekend belongs to the underdogs, divisional weekend belongs to the favorites. So is that role going to be reversed now? Should the Packers be on alert? Should Kansas City, who is facing the smallest margin of being a favorite in the Patrick Mahomes era, only a one and a half point favorite against Buffalo, should they be on alert? Should the Tennessee Titans be on alert? Should Tom Brady and the defending champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, be on alert? I'm going to have my best bets in my final word. But before we do that, before we get to Ike Taylor on the show, we've got to take a look at this Buffalo Bills Kansas City Chiefs game. I mean, my God, can this be the Super Bowl? Please? I- I'm begging you. Can we just postpone this game for another two, three weeks, play it at SoFi Stadium, and name the winner 2021 Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl 56 champs? This is the only game I would want to see. If I could pick one matchup for the rest of the NFL season, this Buffalo Bills Kansas City Chiefs matchup in Arrowhead, I cannot wait. We saw it week five. We saw Buffalo avenge last year's AFC Championship game. By the way, what a shame. Obviously, this can't be the Super Bowl, right? Two AFC teams. What a shame that this isn't even the AFC Championship game. Because it so should be. I mean, the fact that this is a divisional weekend game is honestly just a disservice to football, to football fans everywhere, right? I mean, we should at least be guaranteed, I think we will be anyway, but we should be guaranteed that the winner of this game at least goes to the Super Bowl. You've got last year, the Buffalo Bills, rip-roaring hot, going to Arrowhead for the AFC Championship. Now, the Chiefs didn't have the best showing against Cleveland in the divisional round. Chiefs didn't cover at all. I believe it was their last seven games of the regular season. Didn't cover against Cleveland in that game I just mentioned. Kind of backed into the AFC Championship game. Meanwhile, Buffalo, on the other hand, one of the best covering teams in football last year, which shows that they weren't just winning, they were winning convincingly rip-roaring hot into the playoffs, and they go up 9-0 on Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. At the end of the first quarter, it's 9-0. And it's like, oh my God, the Buffalo Bills are gonna, are they gonna hold on? Are they gonna go to the Super Bowl? Are we gonna get a Tom Brady versus Bills Super Bowl? How incredible, how insane would that be? And then things fell apart. And things fell apart bad. To the tune of a 38-24 Kansas City win. Didn't even give us a close game. If you remember last year, Championship Sunday was was really not that good. I know Green Bay ended up only beating Tampa by five because they made that last-minute effort in the fourth quarter, finally. But that was, what, a three-score game at halftime? Buffalo, Kansas City. Bills were up early. Bills were still in it at halftime. I believe it was 24-12 to or maybe 21-12 to at the half. Yeah, it was 21-12 at halftime. Still in it. But you saw the way that second quarter went, right? The way Kansas City outscored them 21-3. to In the second quarter, the Bills were dead by halftime. And then this year, week five, the Bills go into Kansas City, Sunday night football, and they blow the Chiefs up. Up 31-13 at one point. They end the game winning 38-20. They said, oh, you beat us 38-24? We're going to one-up you and beat you 38-20. I mean, the Bills lit it up, right? Mahomes threw two interceptions. Micah Hyde, part of the Best safety duo in football took one of those to the house. Emmanuel Sanders had a couple touchdowns. Dawson Knox balled out. Josh Allen was nearly perfect, although considering the standard for perfection he just set against New England, I don't even know if we can call that game against Kansas City nearly perfect because he was perfect against the Patriots. I mean, five touchdowns, four incompletions. That's right, you didn't hear that wrong. Not interceptions, four incompletions. He was perfect. The Bills were perfect. Had no drives end in a field goal a punt, or a turnover on downs, I mean, or a turnover, right? The Buffalo Bills, every time they touched the ball, scored a touchdown until the final drive of the game when they knelt and let the clock run out. Seven drives, seven touchdowns, unreal perfection. First time it's happened in the Super Bowl era. Maybe the first time in NFL history. We're not sure if George Hollis's Bears did it in the 1940s, but first time in the Super Bowl era that a perfect offensive game has been played. I don't know what to expect in this one. I just don't. You know, I mean, the Chiefs to lose twice in the same season at home to the Buffalo Bills, oof, that would be something. Now, I think it would speak more to the Bills than to the Chiefs, but that would still be something. Twice, primetime, Arrowhead Stadium, same opponent. That's tough. And now for the Bills, I mean, if the Bills march in there, 
and they destroy Kansas City. I mean, if they beat them, let alone destroy them, is it time to just hand Buffalo the Lombardi Trophy? I mean, it's got to be the winner of this game wins the Super Bowl, right? That's the way I'm seeing it. Kansas City has been my Super Bowl pick. They were preseason. They were a week ago when I previewed the playoffs. Pre-postseason, Kansas City was still my Super Bowl pick. So if the Bills are able to mount up and take care of business in Arrowhead, I mean, the winner of this game is going to win the Super Bowl. I just can't wait to see the matchups. I can't wait to see the Bills' safeties against Travis Kelsey. I think Tyreek Hill has a big advantage with Tredavious White being gone, out, injured for the season. Tyreek Hill should be the guy to run amok because I think the Bills can limit Travis Kelsey. Chiefs are going to need some sort of a run game, as is Buffalo, and Buffalo has found that run game over the last three, four weeks. Buffalo is running the ball effectively. Took all season to get there, but hey, happened at the right time. Can Steve Spagnola come up with an answer for Josh Allen? I don't know anyone right now. Forget in football. I don't know anyone in the world right now who is more confident than Josh Allen. I I mean, the matchups are endless in this game. Uh, The excitement and the fun is endless. Thank God this is going to be the last game of the weekend because we can enjoy Cincinnati, Tennessee. We can, you know, appreciate Green Bay and San Francisco, which was an NFC championship game a couple of years ago. And man, we're going to really watch some good football when we see the Rams play the Bucks. But this is the game we don't want. It's the game we all need. Kansas City, Buffalo, saving the best for last. I love it. My best bets in my final word. But first, Ike Taylor is on the line. He's all set to join the show. We'll be right back here on Sorallo Sports Talk. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show. It's a man who makes Tyreek Hill look slow. He is a no, two-time no. Super Bowl champ. <laughs> don't, don't dispute it, man. You ran the 418. He is a Pittsburgh no. Steelers legend. My man, Ike Taylor. Ike, how you doing, brother? Joe, I ran a, officially, I ran a 427. And Tyreek <laughs> Hill, in my mind, is way faster and runs way faster than I ever could imagine. When it came down to the 40, like, nah, I, I'm not going to, my personal opinion, Joe, and I appreciate you, I can't disrespect Tyreek Hill like that. <laughs> you know what? I, I respect you giving him his credit there. But look, the unofficial 418, I mean, that's the one you got to put on the resume, right? I know it's unofficial, but, but you got to ride with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with it. It was a 427, so I'm going to go with the official. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Hey, look, obviously, Ike, the big news around Pittsburgh and around the whole NFL over the past three weeks has been the send-off of your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. You know, the way things escalated was crazy because it started with his final home game, Monday Night Football against Cleveland. And then, of course, you know, his final game against Baltimore. And then, man, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they beat the Colts. And it's like, wait, uh, we've been saying goodbye to this guy for two weeks. He's going to the playoffs. I I mean... He's going to be in Canton in five years from now. I don't think there's any disputing Correct. that. Can you just speak Correct. to his amazing career that you got to witness firsthand? So just sit, just sitting back and just thinking about it, uh, seven was ahead of his time. So while the Peyton Manning was a pocket quarterback, even a young Tom Brady was a pocket quarterback, um, even a Phillip Rivers was a pocket quarterback, uh, who else we got? Even though them guys were, 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 were pocket quarterbacks, Ben was a scrambler, so he was a young Patrick Mahomes. He was a young Lamar Lamar Jackson. He he, he was a young um, Justin Herbert. Like this is what he did in his in his early years. It's just everything caught up with him. You know, age up, age caught up with him. His mobility caught up with him. It kind of stopped everything in motion. But as far as like being ahead of the time and having some kind of mobility and extending plays, that's what a young Big Ben did. You know, so mm-hmm. now I sit back and think about it. You know, he he was he was he was about fifteen years ahead of his time. I would say. You know, like it was a young Big Ben and a young Pittsburgh Steelers defense that helped me fall in love with football. So, little context: I shared this story on social media a couple weeks ago after after you guys beat the Browns on Monday Night Football. First year I ever played. I'm seven years old. It's 2005. I know you remember that year very fondly. My team was the Pee Wee Steelers. And what we did that year was we made it to the playoffs, our seven-year-old version of the playoffs, as a wild card team. And then we went all the way to the Super Bowl. So while this happened, all of a sudden, in real life, on the big stage, you and your Pittsburgh Steelers are a wild card team that make it all the way to the Super Bowl against a 13-3 and Seahawks squad. And you guys come out victorious. I, I kid you not, I am a lifelong diehard New York Giants fan. 
the first football jersey I ever got was Big Ben's jersey. Yeah, so you you saw the passion, you saw the brotherhood, mm-hmm. you you saw the unselfishness, you saw oh one they're really not supposed to be here. Oh snap, they wind up in the Super Bowl. Damn, they didn't win the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Yes, That's sir. What you saw, but you saw a bunch of guys who played for each other. That's what you saw. And, and that's just being a Giants fan. And I just get and I talk like that because even guys who I played against, that's what they saw. Mm-hmm. It was like, damn, bro, y'all really a brotherhood. Y'all really a family over there. We see it on the sideline. We see it on the field. So that's what made us who we were in 2005 and really to about 2012. It was just that brotherhood, man, that we had going on. Yeah, I mean, it was a special group. You won two Super Bowls in that time frame. Of course, you made it to a third. You know, besides winning those two Super Bowls, what's your favorite memory of Ben? There had to be something in the locker room, in practice, summer I workouts. Just, I was just talking. I was just talking about this, man. When he came through for your boy, he came through for me in Tampa against Arizona on that last drive, throwing that throwing that thing on the dive to San Antonio Holmes in the back of the end zone. You know, don't forget, we had a holding call. Things didn't look bright at the time. If next gen stats was out at the time, man, the percentage, the percentage of us, the percentage of us winning that Super Bowl was down there little to none. But Big Ben came through for us. But a young Big Ben in 2005, his first year starting, what he did in what he did in Denver. We played the Denver Broncos. We we played Jake Plummer. And company and Jake the Snake was a he was a bad son of a gun. He was silky smooth as well. He was very athletic. But how Big Ben lit their defense up because their defense was hot hot at the time as well. How Big Ben lit their defense up, I was like, oh my gosh, we got something special with this young man right here. And that's coming from a guy who was a part of you know consistently. You mentioned that window '05 to to 2012 or so, year in year out, one of the best defenses in the league. I mean, it was like Steel Curtain 2.0, right? Like, so when you see a Denver defense like that, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it helps you appreciate what Ben was doing that much more, knowing how talented that defense was. Oh, yeah, that defense for the Denver Broncos, Champ Bailey and company, especially in that secondary, them boys had something good going on. They had a lot of first-rounders on that defense at the time. And Big Ben was just acting like they they was <laughs> they was free agents. That's, that, that's how... <laughs> He just got in his own that game, and you couldn't tell him nothing. You can just, you can just see it, and you just, you just understood, and you appreciate, man. I'm so glad I'm on this side of the ball, and he's our quarterback. You know, absolutely. Now, Ike, you know, you mentioned the Broncos secondary there. Let's talk about your own secondary, right? Specifically, the starting lineup, and it spanned many years, but Super Bowl 43 against Arizona. Ryan Clark, you, B Mac on the other side of the field, of course, Troy Hall of Famer Palomalu, you know. Everyone except Troy in that group is now killing it in the media. You've got Ryan on ESPN for hours every day. Smoking I don't think it. he sleeps. Smoking You've got BMAC, who over at CBS Sports, it. I don't think he's lost Smoking the bet. It. You were at NFL Smoking Network. You're killing it with your Believe in Steelers podcast right here Appreciate on you. the Believe Podcast Network. Of course, my man. What was the what, what were the film rooms like? That's what I want to know. Because with all those personalities, you, BMAC, I, I think Troy was the most quiet, subdued guy of the bunch. What was it like? Yeah, to y'all, Troy was quiet. To us, <laughs> to us, we saw all his personality and everything that came with it. But it was, and I got I got to tip my hat off to Coach Ray Horton, who was our DB coach. We went. He had us so prepared, and he simplified formations and offensive coordinators. So think about it like this. When you look at your New York Giants team, you're thinking about a Saquon Barkley, an OBJ. When we look at a Giants team, we're thinking about the offensive coordinator. So what does the OC like to do on first, second, and third down? Okay, let's take it a step further. What do he like to do when he sees a one-on-one matchup with OBJ? What does he like to do if he sees too high, meaning – he see two. He see two safeties. What do he like to do with Saquon Barkley? Like that's the. And once we fit, once we got that tendency and we figured that out, we already knew what you was doing 
on each down. So by formation. So once Coach Ray Hoyt simplified that, and we and he already had some dogs, and he had some guys who was passionate, who played for each other, we knew we was going to win all the ball games. Well, I mean, if you look at the Giants this year, at least their offensive coordinator at the beginning of the year with Jason Garrett, it sounds like you would have known more about the Giants' offense than they did because what's Garrett doing, right? Run the ball first, run the ball second, and then throw the ball out of desperation third down. So when you're ahead, and, and you know, not to pick on Garrett, unfortunately, right, right. there are a lot of offensive coordinators in the league like that. So when you're ahead right. of them and ahead of their own team in their own game, that's why you guys were dominant for so many years, why it wasn't just a flash in the pan one-time thing. Yeah, we play we play offensive coordinators in their tendencies. Now, if they had a Julio, if they had an OBJ, if they had a, a, a Travis Kelsey, a Tyreek Hill, like we respect and we understood where he was at that point in time. But formation-wise, if we saw Tyreek Hill line up in a in a slot formation, we knew either he was running an over, a seam route, or a seven cut. If he lined up on the outside, he was running a post a comeback or a go. Like, yeah. that's how you break things down. Like, you respect the guy when he's a dog, but you just look at the tendencies on how the offensive coordinator wants to get the ball to guys like that. I love it, Ike. Now, you know, we're talking about coaching and coordinators. Let's talk about the main man, the head coach, Mike Tomlin, because he has been the Steelers coach for now 15 years, and he has never once had a losing season at the helm in that's Pittsburgh. That's impressive. I mean, he gets disrespected all the time, right? People are always calling for his job, saying the offense is boring and it's because of right. him and they win nine games right. every year. 15 right. straight years, only coach to ever do it in his first 15. You were there for Bill Cower. Yeah. You won a Super Bowl under Bill Cower. Right. What was it like when Tomlin came in? What kind of coach, man, and leader is Mike Tomlin? IQ. He gave you an extra set of IQ. He gave you points on IQ. His IQ for the game is unbelievable. You know, so we used to sit down with Coach T. Coach, Coach T got an office called the cave where he sit down with the coaches and then come up with a game plan. Now, you know, by heart, Coach T is a secondary guy. You mm -hmm. know, so the secondary guys, we used to go in the cave and he used to sit down with us as well as as well as the defense coordinator or our DB coach. And uh, it was just points. And it was it was the small things. It was the details. It was the receiver. It was the receiver who didn't have his gloves tied. You knew he was getting the ball because his gloves tied when he snatched them up. It was the receiver who lined up inside a, 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 a inch or two inside the number because this is what he wanted to do from a from a tight formation. Like Coach T is that 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 much detail. So once you put a a Coach Tomlin who's a head coach but a DB coach by 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 heart and Coach Ray Horton whose IQ is off the chain, it was like oh my gosh, as a secondary guy like. We can't lose too many games. <laughs> yeah, so I, you look at Tomlin and the success he had and, you know, the intelligence. And I think it's really, you know, if I may, I think it's really important to emphasize, especially for the only active black head football coach in the league, his intelligence, right? He doesn't have that job because he was a stud running back or a stud wide Correct. out or a stud linebacker. Correct. He's got it because of his intelligence, right? So as we sit here now, there are 24 active head coaches in football, one black head coach. Right. Now there's eight vacancies. And by my opinion, seven of the top 10 coaches available are black. That's the way I see it. Right. How many do you think will get hired this cycle? Who do you think will get hired this cycle? And how does this problem that the NFL has, because let's call it what, is, what it is, it's a problem. How does this change? Um. I mean, when it was big, it was it was it was Mr. Mr. Dan Rooney. That's why we came up with the Rooney Rule. Uh, Papa Rooney understood, man. We got to start giving these minorities a chance, and we kind of phased away from that once he passed away. But if you look at a a Todd Bowles, if you look at a a Byron Leftwich, if you look at a um a Brian Flores, if you look at a Eric Bieniemy, you know, if you look at a, a lot of these guys. Man, these guys need opportunities. I mean, you got a Houston head coach. He'd get fired off, the, off of the first year. You're like, God, damn, I can't even sit down and get comfortable getting on the airplane before y'all kick me off. You know, so, and then you wonder why some of these players, you know, players like, then y'all keep recycling the same coaches. How about giving minority or, or one of these other coaches a shot or a chance? You know, so that's that's how I look at it. Y'all acting like, you know, these minorities don't know, don't know football. And obviously they do. 
for Coach Brian Flores to start off the way he started. And for him to weigh what he won eight out of the last nine games, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. So why this man got to get fired in Miami? Um, it still kind of puzzles me. But at the same time, man, start giving these minorities, start giving these brothers opportunity and the chance, you know? I'm with you a thousand percent, Ike. Look, as a Giants fan, Brian Flores is the top coach on my list. You know, they talk about the Maras, right? And the Maras and Rooney's, I believe, have a lot of similarities mm. between the two families. I mean, hell, they're, they married into each other. That's where the actress Rooney Mara came from. Correct. But uh, if you look at the Mara family, right, they talk about culture. And they've had Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin. And those two guys are responsible for the four Super Bowls. So when they hired Joe Judge, they wanted an extension of Belichick. To me, no. the only assistant coach of Bill Belichick it's who Brian. has ever had real success is Brian Flores. Right. I mean, look, no. Bill O'Brien yes. in Houston made the playoffs, but how could you not with Deshaun right. and DeAndre, right? Correct, correct. It's like correct. Brian Flores went to a Dolphins team. People were saying would go 0-16 and in tank for Tua, won five right. games, including beating Brady in the Pats. Right. Four and two he, against he, Belichick. He did a lot of off-script stuff. He did a lot of, let me get a Minka Fitzpatrick out the way. Let me get so-and-so out the way. Let me build on these first-round draft picks. For a time, the last few years, he been getting up with first-round draft picks because he was doing that during the season. So he had a vision that a lot of people couldn't see. You know what I'm saying? So he, mm-hmm. he saw, he had a plan, and he understood exactly what he needed to do. He stuck by it. And like I say, man, to win nine, to win eight games out of nine, man, that's, that's, that's hard to do in the media. And to start the way you started off with, that's even harder. Now, it's been talked on – Man, Coach Brown really wanted Justin Herbert. The front office wanted to him. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So picture, to, picture Justin Herbert going to Miami and doing what they're doing. You know, so that's what I'm saying. Then they're then they trying to knock the man and they're spreading dirty, dirty rumors talking about the players didn't want to play for him. Man, you got to want to play for a guy if you win the eight of the, <laughs> the last nine games. So it's, it's a lot of bad stuff out there, which I don't agree, which I dislike about Coach Brown. But the, what Coach Brown Flores have done in Miami and what he will do next. Um, I'm just wishing him the best, really. But give Brian Leftwich a shot. Give Eric Bieniemy a shot. Give uh, Coach Todd Bowles another shot, man, because these guys deserve it. Yeah, Todd Bowles, Eric Bieniemy, they're atop my list. Byron Leftwich as well. You know, for me, a team like the Chicago Bears, right? Historically, they always went on defense. They've never had a 4,000-yard passer, uh, as crazy as that sounds. With Justin Fields, who I think has the most potential of any quarterback in last year in last year's draft class, don't you feel that a Bianami or a Leftwich can really get the most out of Justin Fields? Young minds. I mean, the youngest mind is Byron Leftwich. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And you put him with a Tom Brady, whose IQ is even even sky high, Wi-Fi, so say, and then you just let him go and be a head coach. What you think he's gonna do? He's gonna blossom. A Justin Fields, a young Justin Fields, because he's going to know exactly what to do. Now, you get a Ty Bowles, who Chicago had their best a couple of years ago. They had a, a a bad defense, bad meaning good. Them boys was yeah. laying the wood. They was causing havoc. They was creating turnovers. Now, you give him another opportunity, and you give him a Justin Fields, he'll, he'll, probably, he'll probably bring Brian Left, Byron Leftwich with him, put him as assistant head coach, and then the following year, Byron probably leave after that, and I'm just guessing, but I'm thinking I'm not guessing wrong on that if that was too happy. You know what I'm saying? So that's just what it is, man. But Justin Fields, for me, man, that's the most uh, intriguing, if I was a head coach, thing I would take because I got a young quarterback. He's very talented. You have veteran guys on that Chicago Bears offense or defense. They talk, they talk highly of Justin Fields, and it's hard to persuade and try to get veterans to like you. But the fact the man comes in humble, the fact the man comes in willing to work, willing to learn, the fact the man is a first-rounder, but he doesn't act like a first-rounder, he's hungry, he's the first one in, he's the last one out, that says a lot about him. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, he's my favorite quarterback from last year's draft class. People gave me a hard time. I said if I had the choice, I'd go with him over Trevor Lawrence. I, I want to look at the remaining eight teams. We are down mm-hmm. to eight teams in the NFL. With those final eight teams left, which game this weekend are you looking most forward to? And which two teams do you see as the last men standing in Los Angeles for Super Bowl 56? Man, you know, I want to see them young studs. I want to see Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes go at it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's, that's exactly 
what I want to see. I think that'll be a good a good shootout game. Last time I checked, you know, the Buffalo Bills did win that game. I think it was 38-28, something like that. Um, now don't get me wrong, the Kansas City Chiefs, what they did after week seven, <laughs> they just start locking everything down. They became the number one defense in a lot of categories. But if you just look at how the Buffalo Bills played against, you know, mac and cheese and the New England Patriots and Coach Belichick, <laughs> they shut everything down as well. So we will see. And it's going to come down when you come, when you talk about the playoffs, man, it just comes down to who has the best quarterback. And between Josh Allen and how he's doing and Patrick and Patrick Mahomes and, and what, right there, and what, and what they're doing, man, it's, it's going to be a good game because it's all about the quarterback. Playoffs is all about what quarterback can win their team to a championship. And we're talking about two young stars between those two. That, that's funny, man. I, I expected a different answer from you. Not that you're looking forward to the game. I mean, who isn't? But when it comes to winning in the playoffs, I expected it to be all about defense. I mean, that's yeah, personally, I think it's all about the better defense. No, it, it, it is. But I mean, for, for the last drive, you got to have a quarterback to be able yeah. to sling the ball and have confidence and your playbook got to be wide open to do it. And that's what a Patrick Mahomes and a Josh Allen bring to the table. I'm not going. I'm not going to limit my playbook because I don't think this quarterback can make this pass. My my playbook is wide open because these guys can get the ball to whomever, wherever they at, open on the field. I love it. I love it. So, Ike, before I let you go, who makes it to LA? Super Bowl Fifty Six. I mean, for me, it feels like the Bills Chiefs game should be the Super Bowl, but only one can move on. Who's going to be in LA? Oh man, LA might be in LA. The LA Rams might be in LA. And the Buffalo Bills might be in LA. Okay. I love it. I love it. Ike, by the way, before we do wrap this up, I just want to give a shout out. Your Raging Cajuns had another hell yeah. of a season, man. Yeah. Them, boy, them boys balling. Shout out to Elijah Mitchell for doing this thing and running back for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a Raging Cajun as well. Don't y'all ever forget that either. Yeah, you guys really, some program being run down there. Atop yes. the Sun Belt. Congrats to that, man. Congrats on your success. Believe in Steelers. I believe it's one of the most successful podcasts on our network, man. So just keep killing it. And thank you so Appreciate much for the you. time. Hey, thanks. For, thank you, Joe. Appreciate everything, bro. Absolutely. We'll be back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with my final word. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk for my final word. And what an incredible spot right there by Ike Taylor. I mean, look, the man spoke the truth, right? Whether it was about the deficiency of black head coaches in the NFL and the fact that not only are there not enough, but they're not granted the same opportunities. You know, we didn't even get into, we talked about Brian Flores specifically, didn't even get into guys like Vance Joseph, right? The one and done who the Cardinals cleared out so that they could bring in the golden boy, Cliff Kingsbury, who's had three horrendous second halves in a row. And that's just in the NFL, not counting all of the horrendous second halves he had while at Texas Tech. I mean, the guy has never won anything in his life at the collegiate or professional level, yet everyone rants and raves about him like he is Sean McVay. I mean, I don't, it's terrible. I don't understand it. But on the bright side, I mean, Ike had some incredible stuff, right? On Ben Roethlisberger, on Mike Tomlin, who should be viewed and revered as one of the best coaches in the NFL, right? Don't come complaining about nine and seven when in 15 years, he's never had a losing season. What a great spot. But you know, I did promise you all that I was going to give my best bets in my final words. So let's get to it. We've got four games this weekend and we are starting in Nashville. The Tennessee Titans and the Cincinnati Bengals. My God, do the Cincinnati Bengals look hot. I mean, we're talking about a team that has embarrassed the Baltimore Ravens twice this year that has taken down the Kansas City Chiefs at a time where where no one could. Right, the Chiefs went into that game 11 and 4, winners of eight straight. Cincinnati, despite falling behind early, came back. Joe Burrow has to have the biggest balls on the planet. The Bengals are playing well on both sides of the football, and you know everyone's talking about Tennessee right now and saying, "Oh, well, they get Derrick Henry back. They're a force to be reckoned with." Is Derrick Henry the best running back in football when healthy? Yes. Is Derrick Henry fully healthy? No. No, he is not. The guy just got cleared for practice. I'm going with the Bengals plus three and a half in this one. Although I really, really like them to be just the third team in the past now six years to take down a one seed in divisional weekend. 
Really like Cincinnati to do it. Of course, the Titans were on the other side of that when they went into Baltimore, took down, made quick, easy work of the 14 and two Ravens a few years back. Love Cincinnati plus the three and a half in this one. Let's go to Green Bay and San Fran. Now, when this line came out, it was Packers minus four and a half last Sunday night. I jumped on it like a fat kid on a piece of chocolate cake right away. Didn't have a chance. I devoured that Packers minus four and a half line. Now it's minus six. Do I like Green Bay minus six? Yeah, I do. Last year, divisional weekend, they were seven point favorites at home against the Rams. You can argue that last year's Rams team might have actually been better than this year's 49ers team. Was it a different team? Yes, it was, right? You didn't have Cooper Cup doing what he's doing now, although he was still pretty damn good. You didn't have OBJ. Um, What you did have was a healthy Robert Woods. Now, you didn't have Matthew Stafford, right? And, you know, he's a huge upgrade. We're talking about Jared Goff here on last year's Rams. Well, we're not comparing Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford for this game. We're comparing Jared Goff to Jimmy Garoppolo. And at the end of the day, you might disagree with me, but I think Jared Goff is actually a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. It's hard to look at them and say, well, what would Jimmy G have done in Detroit this year, right? Would he have been able to go 3-12-1 or would he have gone 0-17? Who the hell knows, right? Who the hell knows? But I think Jared Goff and his body of work is more impressive than Jimmy Garoppolo so far and his body of work. Now, mind you, they're both quarterbacks who went to the Super Bowl actually in consecutive years and had no business being the quarterback representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, right? Point blank. I mean, neither year, neither of those guys were even a top five quarterback in their conference, right? So it's bizarre that they both went to the Super Bowl in back-to-back years. I still think Jared Goff is better than Jimmy G. That's the comparison I'm making. Rams defense last year, I would say slightly better than the 49ers defense this year. And the Niners defense is very banged up. So if Green Bay, as a seven-point favorite last year, beat the Rams by 12, I'm going to say that this year as a six-point favorite, they also beat the 49ers by double digits. I took it at four and a half. Like I said, though, if you don't like the six, this is your golden opportunity to tease these Saturday games. Green Bay from six to a pick'em. Cincinnati from plus three and a half to a juicy plus nine and a half. To me, if you're not sold on either one of those games alone, plus three and a half for for the Bengals or minus six for the Packers, do that teaser. Bengals plus nine and a half, Green Bay in a pick'em. Now, what do we do about Sunday? Well, we're going to get to the Bills Chiefs, but first we've got Tom Brady and the Bucks hosting Matthew Stafford and this year's LA Rams. Now, I think in most years, right, wouldn't Brady playing warrant the night game, but this Bills Chiefs game is going to be so otherworldly that we've got to give Brady and Stafford the early slot, the three o'clock Eastern slot. Rams plus three is my play. Now, that is a play as of now, right? None of my other plays are going to change between now and the weekend. The reason I say right now my play is Rams plus three is because right now it seems that the Buccaneers offensive line is really damn banged up. Now, if things change and it turns out that Tristan Wirfs is miraculously out of a walking boot tomorrow and he's great to go, then all right, maybe maybe I have some confidence in the Bucks minus three. I haven't bet this game yet. The only game I've bet so far is Green Bay minus four and a half, as you're hearing this for the first time on Thursday morning. But Tristan Wirfs is in a walking boot. And even his backup, his replacement right tackle, got injured against Philadelphia. Ryan Jensen, your all-pro Pro Bowl center, he got injured. Now, he returned to the game, but he's banged up. And what's the key to beating Tom Brady in the postseason? We talked about it, whether it was my Giants, whether it was the Baltimore Ravens who made a run, or the Denver Broncos making a run, or the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. If you want to beat Tom Brady in the postseason, you have to hit him and you have to hit him hard and pretty damn frequently. What can this Rams defensive front do that's led by Aaron Donald and Von Miller? It can hit quarterbacks, right? Did you see the beating Kyler Murray took? The safety that, or should have been safety rather, that turned into a pick six because he didn't realize he had a man on his tail and then made the poor split second decision to throw the ball away. It was intercepted for a touchdown by LA. I mean, they were wreaking havoc on a much more mobile quarterback than Tom Brady given the Buccaneers have a better offensive line than Arizona, but it is not a healthy one. So right now, I'm not going to come out right and say that they win the game, but if you take a team plus three, good chance they win the game. Right now, my gut is going Rams plus three. Not saying money line plus three. I'd be much more inclined, by the way, to go Bengals money line 
than I would Rams. Bengals money line, I think I'm actually going to play. I'm saying plus three and a half because take the damn points, especially when you have that half point of separation between losing by a field goal and still covering. So Bengals plus three and a half, take the points. I'm going to hit a money line. Rams, I'm sticking to just the points. And that leads us to the game we are all waiting for. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. The defending two-time AFC champions, world champs from two years ago, versus everyone's darling. Everyone's lovable, used to be the lovable losers, right? Four straight Super Bowls lost, whole lot of years of losing between then and now. But now, they're the lovable winners, right? Who doesn't love this Buffalo Bills team outside of the entire New England region? I mean, they are just so damn lovable, and they are so damn good that they can rival Mahomes at the quarterback position. They can rival Tyreek Hill at the wide receiver position. Yes, Stephon Diggs is a baller. Hell, I mean, Dawson Knox with the year he had when he was healthy, don't forget he missed some games because he was banged up. Dawson Knox is putting up Travis Kelsey-like touchdown numbers. Then you flip over to defense. Well, Tyron Matthew and Daniel Sorensen, that's one of the best safety duos in the game. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde is a better safety duo. Both teams have issues at cornerback. Both teams have a pretty good pass rush, pretty good D-line, right? You've got Ed Oliver for the Bills. You've got Chris Jones for the Chiefs. Pretty good linebacking cores on each side. My goodness, this is going to be a great football game. As much as I love those two respective defenses, and as much as I love the respective defensive coordinators, Leslie Frazier for Buffalo, Steve Spagnola for the Chiefs. Spagnola had a shot at being the head coach. Leslie Frazier will probably get another shot at being a head coach. This is going to be a shootout. This is going to be an absolute piss-missile arm rocket shootout. And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to come out on top. I'm sorry, Buffalo. I'll tell you this right now. If the Buffalo Bills win this game, they're my new pick, my replacement pick to win the Super Bowl. And a piece of me wants to be right and win my bet plus 500 that I placed in August on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl and avenge their loss to Tampa Bay. Part of me wants to be right and win that bet. And, and just be right, right? And have those bragging rights. And then another part of me, a part of me that went to school an hour outside of Buffalo for four years not too long ago, a part of me who is very close to many, many Bills fans, and a part of me who just loves football, wants to see the team that's been in three straight AFC title games not get there, wants to see the Buffalo Bills win the first Super Bowl in one of the most deserving franchises' histories. So I'm probably going against my fandom here, but... I just don't see Kansas City losing at home against an opponent who beat them 38-20 to at home earlier this season. Kansas City, after that Bills game, got their act together. Took them a couple weeks, but they finished the year 9-1 in their last 10. And after a slow first quarter against Pittsburgh, went on a 42-14 run. Kansas City, in my opinion, is still the best team in the National Football League. And if the Bills dethrone them, they're going to win the Super Bowl. If Kansas City wins this game, they're going to win the Super Bowl. But I have to stick with my pick and make it Kansas City 35, Buffalo 31. And just like that, this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Hey, it was episode 50. Special thanks to Ike Taylor for making it a special one. I cannot wait for a divisional weekend. Go enjoy yourself some football.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.